All right, three, two, one. Here we go. Uh, welcome to another, the 16th edition of the TMG podcast. This is Chris Dufresne coming to you from RevRec Revelations Recording in Chino at RevRec Chino. Uh, we're happy to have uh, RevRec doing our weekly podcast. And uh, we also want to, I'm going to give a shout out to, shout out to David Amaral, who is w- literally wearing his cap as a recent graduate, Middle Tennessee, and what, fine arts? And, uh, master of fine arts. Master of podcasts and fine arts. So we can want to congratulate David. And uh, also before we get started, apbagames.com, they've been with us from the very beginning, the unchallenged king of quality sports strategy games. And that's Appa Games. Go to Appa Games and find out all about Appa Games. Okay, we're here with the uh, the original regular crew. We've rounded everyone together uh, after a bye week last week. We have Tony Barnhart, Mark Blauchin, Herb Gould, and Chris Dufresne. And uh, I guess we should start, and we always always start with Tony um, because LSU is number one, as we predicted they would be, and the SEC is. Uh, always important in our minds. Uh, let's Tony. Let's uh, kind of wrap up uh, basically how the final rankings broke down, and uh, we sort of saw this coming. Um, ha- it, figuring that if LSU beat Georgia, they might uh, jump into that number one spot. Uh, so let's start with you, and h- how do you think it all shook out, Tony? Well, we were. Saturday, Saturday during the SEC championship game when LSU was handling Georgia pretty well. I, I just I wrote on TMGCollegeSports.com. That's right. That uh, that LSU should be number one, and that's the way that it turned out. And I think they they played a better schedule, have a much better resume uh, than Ohio State, but it was close. So now LSU gets to play home. Barnhart gets another home game in Atlanta. <laughs> uh, LSU and Oklahoma on the twenty eighth. And boys, y'all realize. What are we, 12 days away from the playoffs? Isn't that crazy? But it, uh, what was interesting from an SEC perspective, uh, not LSU was number one, that was expected, was that Georgia only dropped to number five. And that was a that was a bit of a surprise. They were still going to the Sugar Bowl no matter what. Uh, Florida was nine. Auburn and Alabama were 12 and uh, 13. All in all, pretty good year Pretty good year for the SEC. It, it was. You didn't get three, and you didn't get two, but you got more than one. I mean, you got one, which was more than the Pac-12 got. Uh, but before we go on, and maybe uh, I'll let um, Jersey Guy address this, but Tony, you mentioned you mentioned Georgia dropping only one spot. I'll, I'll, I'll do better than that. And this is – it's not a complaint with the uh, rankings, but – it, it's just to illustrate that these final rankings by the committee can be manipulated any way they want it to be manipulated. Now, here, listen to listen to these numbers, guys. Georgia, Wisconsin, and Virginia. Georgia, Wisconsin, Virginia. They lost their three games by ninety-five points, and those three teams dropped two. Spots total for the three teams. Wisconsin didn't drop at all. Uh, Georgia dropped one, and Virginia, probably the most surprising, dropped only one slot. 
after a 45-point loss to Clemson. Jersey guy, do you have a problem with this? Because to me, this is just total manipulation to prop up the, the Orange Bowl that had to take Virginia, and now they can promote it as um, you know a, a matchup of ranked opponents. It, it, to me, that's sort of semi-fraudulent. And, and, and so when we were talking about fraud— uh, uh, we always go to J- New Jersey, so we'll we'll go to you. On the f- <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. what, like what's worse about it was that all three of those those teams got bid for the sugar, uh, orange, and rose bowls. I mean, that's a reward. I mean, I'm right. sorry, I'm, I'm old. I'm old school enough to remember when those are the the, the, the big four bowls and playing on New Year's Day, which they don't do anymore except for the rose and the sugar. What uh, was a reward for a great season, and you had the best versus the best. Well, that's now it's become like a consolation prize, which I think is that that's a problem with the system. Right, but Herb, uh, let's go to Herb Gould on this. But the idea that that the committee um, would manipulate, and I think they have the right to do this, but I think I wish there was a little more transparency. They want the best matchups possible. So by uh, look, Wisconsin not dropping at all. And Oregon moving up seven spots to uh, to six, that makes a great Rose Bowl matchup. Virginia being ranked as opposed to being unranked makes the Orange Bowl more palatable. Uh, you know, with a, with a with a team in there that may not belong there. Uh, so, do you have a problem with any of this, Herb Gould? And also about Ohio State dropping uh, after a double digit victory in the Big Ten championship game. Well, you know, I guess the first one I would say is that I think that Wisconsin, you know, they for a half or, or well, you know, into the third quarter, Wisconsin was was leading Ohio State. And and I think that if if you drop Wisconsin below Penn State, you're gonna punish them for playing that game and you're gonna reward Penn State for not playing a game. So I, I you know, I understand that part of it a little more. Uh, the Virginia thing really does look fishy. I guess <laughs> you know the George the George, Georgia thing. I don't have a real strong opinion on. I mean, right. as you said, obviously for a Sugar Bowl matchup, but Virginia, I would ask. I don't know. Maybe Blau knows the answer. What if Virginia drops out of the top twenty-five? Is that still the number one t- uh, ACC team to go to the Orange Bowl? I mean, it just seems like. That that Orange Bowl slot would have been much better served with a Notre Dame. But they, they couldn't do that. They couldn't. They couldn't I, do I, that. I know they. I know I, they I, couldn't I, do that. But I know they couldn't do that. But why? Why did they make such? You know, why did they deal themselves such a bad hand? You know, I mean, they shouldn't be. You know, I mean, why would the Orange Bowl want to be obligated to take a four-loss runner-up that you know has no business being there? Um, and it just seems like, you know, this is something that they will change when they draw up these contracts again, because that makes no sense to be locked into a, a really, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of teams that would have looked a lot better in that orange bowl than Virginia. Sure. But, but it's, it's, it's all, it's Notre Dame. ACC made a deal with the devil when they, when they had Notre Dame play five of their ACC teams uh, each year, which, which was a bonus for all those ACC teams. Notre Dame got a got a parachute by going to a, to to a to a ACC bowl game, but the ACC said, "Well, they can go to a bowl game, but not the top bowl game because that's that's unfair." Because the other coaches in the ACC didn't want that at all, 
Uh, so it's, it's it's kind of a catch twenty two situation on both right. sides. Right. I, it just seems bizarre that I, I guess you know the answer is that they they want these bowl tie ins and Orange Bowl will take up a really substandard deal once in a while because it it balances out over time. But yeah, that that's just really unappetizing. I mean, that yeah. I don't even know at this point is that is that a top ten bowl in terms of you know viewer watchability. I don't know. Well, but think think about it is guys that whole deal you 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 make that deal assuming that the second place team if you don't if you don't get the champion of the ACC the second place team is going to be a good Florida State team or a good North Carolina team or a good you you assume that going in well the ACC was just horrible this year and and but you can't change the contracts once they're signed. And so you, yeah. it's just a deal that you have to make. Right. So, uh, you know, it, 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 we out here on the West Coast would, would argue, and I'm not going to go very far into this. Uh, Herb, you talked about not being able to drop Wisconsin below the two lost teams that actually played in a championship game. It it, it didn't stop uh, the committee from dropping Utah six spots. Now, they, they, they did not play well um, in that game, it, although it was a – a single possession game late into the th- third quarter, but uh, but I think again that was manipulated because they wanted to get Utah out of a they didn't want to give Utah a New Year's Six Bowl, which maybe rightfully so, uh, but they have they had to do certain things to make that happen. So it's a little bit of abracadabra. It's not like the AP poll where you're going to get more of a you know a, a more representative fallout. That could, and we all agree, we agree to this, right? I mean the committee can massage that final ranking i just think everyone should know that this is what this is why they did that this is why they propped this team up or didn't drop this team uh it made they did everything they could to make their their bowls look better i think sure yeah okay as long as we know that uh but tony let's go back to you what what if anything did this year change about the future of college football because in a big way Everything broke right for this committee, and it could have it could have gotten real ugly. Uh, sure. There is no system where you only have four slots for five power conference champions that it's going to work because someone's going to get left out. That's baked into the original system. But isn't this about as good as this could have worked out? And will this forestall, uh, you know, a kind of a maniacal drive towards the 18 playoff, Tony? Well, I think, you know, when all is said and done, people are never going to be happy with, with the system as it is. Uh, you, they wanted to have a system where one conference got left out, so at least one, <laughs> right. every right. year. Yeah. They, they, were, they absolutely wanted that because that that speculation, that angst, that anger, that bitterness is the thing that drives the college football conversation. And quite honestly, as you said, Duke, this this year went about. It ended about as it was about as easy as it could get because when we, when we when all was said and done, we knew who the first three teams were going to be, and we knew that the fourth team was going to be the winner of the Big Twelve Championship game. Right. It doesn't get any. It doesn't get any easier than that. Right. And, the, and so yeah. And of course, everybody this this will renew the clarion call for an eighteen college football playoff and. You know, I, I know they they've sort of discussed it, but I, I don't I don't get a, I don't get a sense that 
we're going to get any movement until we get into the final three years right. of this contract. We just finished. We just finished the halfway point. We're finishing up the halfway point. There's six years left on this deal. Yeah, and Tony, you know, as you know, these things happen by change happens by necessity. Correct. Sure. I mean, had Wisconsin won that game, we might be talking having a different conversation now about you know what the idea that was was Wisconsin might have gotten left out as the Big Ten champion mm-hmm. after just beating number one, you know, in right. Ohio State was number one at the time. Could have been a different conversation. But uh, right. uh, Jersey guy, uh, do you do you th- see any ne- need to, to move? I, the only reason I, I see a, a need to go to eight teams is to make the conferences matter again and, and the conference championship games to matter Um and if you had, you know, obviously five automatic qualifiers and two at large and the group of five represented, that would be a fair system, right or wrong, Jersey guy? Well, absolutely right. And, and uh, Tony, you're both right. So, I mean, Tony's right. They said they didn't want it to work. They wanted one to be left out when they put the system because they knew four, um, my math, even in Jersey, four doesn't go into five or five doesn't go into four. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem, the problem was, and, and and we talked about it a lot, lot is the only way it's going to get changed quicker is if the SEC, which will never happen or hasn't happened, or the Big Ten gets left gets left out of the mix for a sustained period of time. The Pac-12 has no juice, so they can mm-hmm. they can complain all they want to about it, and they're going to go, yeah, okay, thanks. And the, and the response they'll get was, well, don't lose two games, then, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, but but it's it's going to happen eventually. I think it's going to happen because I mean, just like I mean, we all were sitting there when when we when when our good friend Bill Hancock swore to us there would never be a a, a playoff because they were happy the presidents didn't want it. Well, get four years later there was a playoff with the four te- four teams in there. So it's going to happen, but it's going to take time. Herb Herb Gould, do you have any thoughts on the? Uh, now you've well, all, you've you always know, talked I, about in this. In my mind, I mean, I was I was in those some of those conversations with Bill Hancock talking about. You know, that, that eight-team playoff is a can of worms, as we've discussed. You know, when are you going to play it? And also, how are you going to, you know, make access for the group of five? I mean, there's, there's a lot of – you open a lot of questions. You don't, you don't solve all the questions. And I'm a big eight-team playoff guy. But what I will say is that I think the bigger question in my mind now is how do you get a little more schedule uniformity? I think that we need to get – you know, and, and people like Urban Meyer and, and, and others have said, you know, if you're not going to all play nine conference games, then they should all play eight. I mean, there needs to be an agreement on how many because that affects your strength of schedule. They also should sit down and work out some parameters for non-conference schedule strength. I think you would you would be able to get to your four teams for your playoff a lot easier and a lot cleaner if you had you know, more of a, of a level playing field on scheduling. And, and I, I think that's going to be something that's going to be at least talked about more and maybe even addressed. Right. Well, only in this context. It's going to be, I think the SEC would be willing to, to do a rule that says, well, we're going to still, we're going to keep playing eight conference games for a lot of different reasons. But if you want to make a rule that says everybody must schedule 10 power five teams, the ones in the conference and one more or two more, maybe maybe that's got a chance. Right. But that might be, yeah. Because I, 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 I,
so the one thing I want to finish, and I'd like to hear what you think, is that what happens is there's a carryover. I mean, we look, I mean, next year's top 25 is going to be influenced by the end of this year's top 25. And so things sort of carry over there. I think that helps the SEC for sure. It helps the Big Ten often. It hurts the Pac-12 often. You know, and it's hard to break that pattern when, it, you know, it just continues to perpetuate itself. Right. Um, but, you know, that, that's you – know, there, there, is, there is part of the old system still working here, you know, the idea of reputation uh, and carryover. I mean, there is, there is carryover from one season to the, to the next. Uh, I don't know how we get around that, Tony. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the A-team s- settles a lot of the issues, except, Tony, that um, the group of five will have to be involved. Right, so this can't be. Yeah, this can't necessarily be the. Yeah, right. Ah, uh, yeah, but here's here's the deal. Remember, in the old BCS, you could have access to the to the BCS if you were the other, but you had to meet the certain top, criteria yeah. to access it. And the idea of just giving the group of five a spot, I, I can tell you right now, for the SEC, that ain't going to go over big at all. Now, if they if they can earn their way into a spot. It's one thing, but you're just going to automatically give the group of five, best group of five team a spot, and I, I think that will be a, a difficult issue. And the idea of giving uh, all five conference champions an automatic bid in there—that's—I that, know that's what most most conferences want because that way that takes all this angst out of out of the whole process about getting left out. But um, right. Well, then you become the NFL. It's like the NFC. There's going to be one NFC East, you know, where someone is nine and seven. It's going to have to yeah. get into the playoff. They do it at every, you know, they do it at the highest level of, of football that we play in America. In America. So, uh, and you, Tony, you will have, you would have those two at large uh, spots, which could both be SEC teams, right? Right. Sure. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. So, Absolutely. so it's not as, as, you know, I think there is some, a little bit of wiggle room there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's the question. What would it, would it be, what would you accept Tony for that group of five uh, top 12? Would they, you know, would they get, I'm sorry, dude, if you, you broke up on me there. Try, try I said, what, what would you accept for that group of five position? Would it be like a top 12 rank? You'd have to at least be top 12. It, it would, yeah. It, it would have to be some sort of minimal ranking and, uh, it, because well, I think what was it? If the, if the group of five got into the top four, they would have access to one of the bowls or something like that. Uh, yeah, it was be- it was it was like top twelve, I think, back in the in the day. You know, they would get they would get certain privileges, like Notre Dame got too. I mean, to- Notre Dame used right. to get automatic qualifier uh, privileges in the old BCS. But it, you know, it is interesting. I don't like the fact that. Some conference championship games, don't, you know, don't mean anything. Uh, and as Blau said, some of these bowl game matchups are kind of diminished. Uh, when you're falling into Sugar Sugar Bowl and Rose Bowl bids, I've never liked that idea where they become consolations. But that's you know that's More. that's done. That's over with. Let's let's move on. I want to get to the Heisman vote. One of the uh, another thing that happened while we were away, and I got a bone to pick. And I think you're all you're going to all be with me on this. But he, you know, Joe Burrow, as as expected, uh, not only won the Heisman vote in a runaway, he won in the largest margin 
uh, ever on every every count. Yet, uh, Jersey guy, 95% of the ballots, uh, Joe Burrow was on 95% of the ballots, which means he wasn't on 5% of the of the ballots. What take, high, the, take the votes away now if you're still alive. <laughs> I mean, take the vote away right now. If I'm looking at those ballots, and and, and I see Joe, Joe Burrow is not one in the top three. I first of all, I call up. I said, "What are you? What were you thinking?" And then what, if were you have any kind of an explanation? That, which I can't think of. One is I say, "Well, you're no longer a Heisman voter." I mean, I'm sorry, this is ridiculous. Right, Herb? Do you agree no, with that? Totally, yeah, Tony. Totally ridiculous. Yeah, I, you totally know, I, I do. I agree with it because it. On the other hand, there, there, there's a little there's a little bit of a wiggle room in there. In that, I mean, I remember in the old days, and you guys may remember too, that there were there were people who voted for their regional candidate, and they would leave the other the other region's candidate off. Yeah. Now I don't I can't imagine doing that in this Joe Burrow case. Um, I, I, it doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, you know, if you're going to do it the way Blau does, then you know you're going to you're sort of Reducing the point of voting. I mean, you know, it didn't change it per se, but it would be. I would need no. to know what. Well, and and her, I mean, it's, it's, I have no problem if someone wants that Joe Burrow was number one. That's fine. If you want to argue with that, that that's okay. But, but then the top three this year? Well, I can I can tell you this: in the last ten years, there have been probably four, maybe even five Heisman Trophy winners that I did not put on my ballot because I did not think they met the integrity clause. Right. Now, I well, you, you, know, you want to take my vote away, take it away. But this this case, I, I don't know where you would have any dirt right. on Joe Burrow uh, that would do that. You know, it, it is interesting. It would be interesting to know what the... Uh, the, the reasoning is, I, I, I just, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit leery of taking away votes. That's all. Well, no, I, I you know, I, again, is I want an explanation of why you did that, and then, and then I would take his vote away or that person's vote away. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, I would. Well, it's it's just, reason, but the reason would be if you felt strongly enough that Jalen Hurts was your guy, and then you said, well, if I really want Jalen Hurts to win, how can I best help Jalen Hurts? Now that, you know, that's, that's a dubious way of thinking about it, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that back in the day, I mean, I heard that plenty of times when, when Bo Jackson and Chuck Long were going at it, I heard that from both sides. I heard people that were going to vote for Bo Jackson, they weren't going to put Chuck Long on their ballot. They were going to vote for oh. Chuck Long, they weren't going to put Bo Jackson on their ballot. Uh, you know, they're, and, and, you know, that might not be right, but, but it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, people, it does. Go uh, ahead, Tony. Honestly, people that people that stupid shouldn't be voting for the eyes. <laughs> but I, I guess. Well, I better not say. That. I better not say that. So, you know, yeah, that's just, that's just dumb. That is well, just you know, well, yeah. You, get you have more than nine hundred voters. Come on, nine hundred is too. I mean, nine fifty, whatever. Well, there is a lot of talk about cutting back on it. You know, I mean that that certainly would be a way. Uh, well, the, it would be interesting to know the logic. The best thing about the best thing about the Joe Burrow victory is that it 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 took O.J. Simpson out of the uh, Heisman record book, which I'm all for. Uh, O.J. had previously previously had the largest points margin of victory, and uh, and Burrow just blew um, blew that away, which is a good thing. Um, here's another th- here's another thing that I, that I think was very interesting. A few of our colleagues and Bruce Feldman, we all respect Bruce. 
He came out. He voted um, the Oregon offensive tackle, and I'll bet you uh, you guys probably don't even know his name, and I wouldn't be surprised if you did. He voted the Oregon offensive tackle, uh, I think, number two on his Heisman ballot. Um, the guy's name is Sewell. He will be a first-round NFL pick. I don't know because now it didn't really matter this year, and if you're doing it because it doesn't matter – is that a right reason to do it? I don't, what I mean by that is, had this been a close race and everyone knew it was going to be close, could you justify putting Chase Young, number two, or this guy, Penay Sewell, at Oregon, number two? Uh, could you justify that in a close race? Uh, anybody have a problem with what Bruce did and a couple of our, other of our colleagues? Not not really. Not no? If you want, no, I don't either. If, if you got, if you got a guy who you think is special uh and deserve some recognition yeah but do you, don't well, you, you think know, he did that just because he, he knew it did it wasn't going to impact joe burrow sure well the other, okay, the other thing that happened over time is that the the heisman trophy in fact I, i've got a column that that's gonna go i say by the time this by the time this is uh made public the podcast it'll be on the website but that this has changed over time um when I covered Notre Dame in 1987, Tim Brown won on a seven and four team as a wide receiver kick returner, and I looked it up. I mean, good luck to anybody winning the Heisman Trophy with four losses. It has become an MVP award, you know. So basically, what you're saying is the best player on, you know, the MVP of the best team. Well, that narrows it down pretty, you know, pretty small. You know, you might. When we got LSU, and you know, you had two or three other teams that were kind of, you know, you could you could argue Oklahoma's, you know, Jalen Hurts. There are a couple other guys you could put in there, but it's a small field, and it's also pretty much a quarterback thing. I mean, anybody besides a quarterback is, you know, you can sneak in a running back now and then, but it's pretty much a quarterback award. And and I just wonder if the time has come when you know maybe the Heisman Trophy should have. More, there should be more than one Heisman Trophy. (laughs) Well, you know, it sounds weird, but let's just talk about baseball. You give out an MVP and a Cy Young. It it can happen that a guy can be the best pitcher and the MVP. Well, I think that's what maybe you give out. I I mean, it sounds far fetched, but I think I think those other trophies a brand. Maybe there should be more than one. Well, I think they do that. Don't Walker the right. It's fair. Walter Camp. Yeah, that's right, but it's not. But it's not. It's not the stature of the Heisman. No, it isn't. Right. Uh, let's. I'm going to get off the Heisman, but but not before noting this. And I'll I'll go to Tony on this, um, because you you've been sort of vocal with uh, not vocal, but understanding that a lot of coaches out there are against this transfer, the loosening of the transfer rule. Uh, that allows mm-hmm. quarterbacks to leave their their old school and go to a place where they can, you know, further their own interests. And, and and let's look at these Heisman finalists. Uh, would Joe Burrow have won the Heisman if he stayed at Ohio State? Well, maybe I get maybe Justin Fields had he stayed at, at Georgia, maybe. But uh, would he be? Uh, and Jalen Hurts. Look at these three guys. These guys are the poster mm-hmm. poster uh, players for the transfer rule. Uh, how is this a bad rule? Is if 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 we get these kind of matchups, it's not a bad rule. Okay, <laughs> that's that's the answer. The answer is that yeah, 
would, would coaches rather not have the hassle of dealing with this? Sure, but that's that's just too bad, fellas. Right. Because the players have needed some freedom, uh, a lot more mobility than they've had in a long time. I, I think the rule as it's structured, which of course the NCAA bungled the implementation of it, as they <laughs> always do. No. But what the way it's structured now is where you, if you leave and you haven't graduated, you've got to get a waiver to play right away. Well, they they were handing out waivers like popsicles right, right. Uh, a little while ago, and the NCAA realized, oh, we better tighten up on this thing. So I, th- I think it's fine. I think it's fine. And it, that gave these guys an opportunity. It gave Joe Burrow, an Ohio kid, an opportunity to go play somewhere. I mean, he couldn't help it that he was behind J.T. Barrett and, and Dwayne Haskins, and those are two great, great players. And he found he found another place to have his dream. Jalen Hurts found another place to have his dream, and so and, and so did Justin Fields. So I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't work. Whatever. Remember Brandon Wimbush? <laughs> you know, it's like some of these sure. guys that make these moves. So there's there's a there's a risk involved for on both ends, uh, uh, but for the player there's risk too. And before we get away from this, I also will bring up, and this is the, my old pet peeve. You know, players not playing in bowl games. Remember when that was a big deal a couple of years ago? <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, sold his team out because he didn't play in the Sun Bowl. Worked out pretty well for Christian. Uh, but uh, what about, and this continues to happen and nobody cares, what about coaches leaving uh, their team and not playing in the bowl game? Memphis. Memphis works all year to get this. Uh, group of five slot eight are going to the Cotton Bowl. This is great. Yeah, but the coach isn't going with them. Jersey guy, how is this good for college football? Uh, I don't know if there's anything we can do, but I don't want to hear about players not playing in bowl games when coach well, Brett Brett Bielema, Herb Gould, walked away from the Rose Bowl to take the Arkansas job. Did not take his team to the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, nobody really said anything about Brett, uh, Jersey guy. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Herb. I, I mean, I would just say that I, I, I agree with your point that, you know, both players and coaches should have the freedom of movement because players, as Tony so eloquently put it, you know, they, the opportunity should be there for them. And if it's tough on coaches too bad, but if coaches are moving on, you know, I, I just always think of when, when Bo Schembechler was the athletic director at Michigan, and he got wind that, um, you know, who's, uh, uh, oh, help me out here, the man who went to ASU, uh, the basketball coach. Uh, uh, Bill Frieder? Uh, basketball coach, Frieder. Bill Frieder. Frieder, yeah. Bill Frieder. Bill Frieder, thank you. I had, I could see his face. Uh, when Bill Frieder, he got wind of Bill Frieder, he said, well, we're going to have a Michigan man <laughs> coach right. in Michigan. And he put Steve Fisher in charge, and all they did was win the national championship. Um, you know, I kind of feel that way. It's a little awkward if a guy's attention is on the next job to have him be, right. you know, sort of a lame duck at the old job. And, you know, cause there's so many recruiting things and obligations, you know, it's kind of tough on the team. I agree. Uh, but it doesn't bother me. The one that bothers me is when you fire the coach and go to a bowl game. <laughs> that one I would, I would look hard at. Right. Well, let's, uh, Tony, I know you got to jump off here in, in a couple of minutes, but I want—I need to get to you on kind of our, our coaching carousel segment. And I, I know you're off to Oxford, Mississippi, uh, to uh, for signing day. 
And boy, the SEC West just got a whole lot more interesting with Lane Kiffin coming back to that division with those characters. And what is that going to be like, Tony? I mean, are you are you kidding me? We got Nick Saban, we got Gus, we got Coach O, we got Lane. Okay, Jimbo, yeah, and, yeah, we, and, and Jimbo, all in the same division. I mean, Media Day is going to be outstanding. And, and let me just say this about the coaching carousel: Eli Drinkwitz, the new coach at Missouri, he went from making in two years, three years, he went from making four fifty to be NC State's offensive coordinator, to 750 as Appalachian State's head coach for one year. And today, boys and girls, he's making $4 million a year. Is is this a great country or what? Absolutely. Uh, but regarding Lane, what what havoc can Lane Kiffin bring? Not, And I'm thinking not just to the division, but specifically to Alabama. It, there's a lot of people thinking that he took this job just so he could get back into uh, into the division against Alabama and, and just you know whatever it is the revenge the revenge job uh and and siphon off just energy from Nick Saban if not assistance ideology whatever is this is this going to work do you think it, it all comes down to recruiting it really does yeah. he's got you know he, <laughs> listen he was part he was part of the Alabama staff that went one and two against Ole Miss. They lost, they lost two games to Ole Miss right. while he was there. And so he's got to go out. And with his reputation, he'll be able to recruit offensive linemen and running backs and, and quarterbacks and wide receivers and all that. Uh, you know, tomorrow, I don't, I don't, Wednesday, I don't expect him to do, excuse me, a whole lot. But he, but the energy part is, is the key part, guys, because, you know, did you see that scene of him landing at the airport yeah. the other night? I mean, a woman hands him her baby. I mean, you, right. you, I mean, you don't get this. I'm sorry, you don't get this in the Big Ten. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it was just an incredible reception, and the energy there is unbelievable. And now I understand better why they fired Matt Luke, because they had right. lost the energy in addition to losing the egg ball. They had, they had lost the energy, and they need something to re-energize, and they have – Ole Miss has become completely re-energized, and it'll, it's going to be interesting when I get there tomorrow to see, see what that energy level is. Yeah, and you remember Tony in his his only season at his only season at Tennessee, uh, they should have beaten number one Alabama that year. I mean, oh. they that was twelve to ten, and Terrence Cody blocked two uh, field goals, including the, the last second field goal. Um, but you know, the idea of just putting a counter to and, and and I know we don't we don't we we don't believe that the Alabama dynasty is over. That's that's been floated out there. It is interesting to note, Tony, that Alabama this year had no first team All America player. Now I think you know mm. two, had Tua, uh, uh, you know, not been injured, he might have. You know, but no, he wouldn't have beaten Joe Burrow out though. I, I, but uh, uh, is it? I'm just you know, is there a window of opportunity in that division now? Uh, to take advantage, or is that, or is that just a myth? Well, let's see what happens on Wednesday. Right now, <laughs> right now, Alabama has the number one recruiting class in the country. Yeah. Uh, now, if, if it closes out, that I'm not real big on these rankings, but if you're in the top five, you probably signed a lot of good players. 
and, and to me, that's when you start seeing things slip. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one year, two years. Then what happens? Then all of a sudden, your Skrillex Alabama gets the number nine recruiting class, and then they get the number twelve recruiting class, and all of a sudden, they don't have the talent level they, they've had in the past. So right. it's Let's see what happens on Wednesday. Uh, Tony, before you go, I will note that uh, I don't think Clemson's going to get any worse. And I'll bring you this update. Uh, the St. John Bosco quarterback, uh, who is uh, committed to Clemson, DJ Uyagelele, and I'm not, maybe uh, not saying that name correctly, he just led to uh, Bosco to the Open Division California State Championship over Concord de la Salle. Uh, Petro, Petros Papadakis uh, out here uh, was saying that DJ, uh, this kid DJ, is the greatest high school player he's ever seen. And, he is, and he is on his way to Clemson. The greatest high school mm. player he's ever seen. So uh, that's, and that's that saying a lot. a big part of it. Alabama signing quarterback from uh California for modern day, but uh, Bosco beat yep, yep. Uh, this. They they just they played a couple weeks ago or in, in the, or in the finals, the southern the sectional finals, and uh, Bosco beat modern day. Uh, they mm. both those quarterbacks had phenomenal games, and one is going to Alabama, Alabama, and the other one to Clemson. All right, Tony, if you got to jump off, uh, uh, we understand. All right, guys, we'll, all right, we'll talk to you soon. Guys. Okay, see you. All right, and we will. You, Tony. We'll continue briefly for a couple more minutes. Uh, we're, yeah, we're doing pretty well. Where are we at? David, we're about at 40 minutes now, but, uh, Mark Blouch and I did want to get to, uh, the big news in your area and with the coaching carousel is that Boston college, uh, not only, you know, not only getting a good coach, but they, uh, you know, they're taking a coach from, from Ohio state and a rising star, uh, Jeff Halfley is this Jersey. He is a Jersey guy. Uh, will this will this resurrect Boston College into a a contending team again? Well, a contending team in the ACC, which doesn't take much, which only right. only, only okay. one for a win. Right. And it's like we're talking about my coach about what you talking about before. Jeff Hathley was, was give a perfect example today. Uh, I mean, Jeff Hathley basically, you know, Ohio State, as we all know, is playing for the national championship. And so Jeff Hathaway said, you know, basically that he was here at the press conference this morning, 9 o'clock, and then as soon as the press conference was over, he was going to go and get, get in the plane and go back to practice. And, and, and his quote was, I have to go out and win, help us win a national championship. Right. Now, for, 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 first of all, that's, that's important to two things. That means he, he, he maintained his commitment to his old school. And secondly, for any coach in Boston College, say they have to win a national championship, I don't care what school he's going to that's a good That's a good thing for Boston College. That's that's the best 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 part of it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, Hathaway's got is going to bring a lot to, to Boston College, and people are excited for the first time in ten years that things might go better than the mediocre the Steve the Steve Adagio seventy sixers. Yeah, uh, Herb Gould. Uh, were there? Am I missing something? Were there? Were there coaching changes in the Big Ten, or is this is this, this league stability? Uh, did I did I miss one other than uh, no you know uh, Chris I, uh, Rutgers, which I, had already made really, that move? I don't really see it. I mean, uh, I Rutgers. Think that, uh, Rutgers, Rutgers, I mean, yeah. yeah, Rutgers made the change. That sort of happened so early in the cycle, right? Uh, and, and it was obviously there for a long time, uh, and and much needed. But the, you know, rest of the way around the league, you know, you have a lot of new guys, 
you know, Michael Oxley ended up having a rough ride at Maryland after, you know, a terrific two-game start. Um, but I think part of that is that you have so many new guys that you didn't, it wasn't time for a change, so to speak. And, um, you know, Northwestern, you know, if yeah. you want to go down the wrong a little bit, you know, they, they picked up uh, Boston College's offensive coordinator, uh, much needed because that, that Northwestern offense was pretty stagnant and hadn't done any changes. But at the head coaching level, you know, I You're think... You're right. say, Herbie. Michigan State, yeah, but I mean, the, the, the noise that I'm hearing from East Lansing is that, that he will be back because, well, that's, you know, it, that's, that's an awkward one. But, well, but there's, I, you know, there's I don't, laws in his contract that if, that if he stays the January 15th, he gets four, four, $4.5 million. So be careful with that one. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't have an opinion about it. I mean, I, I wrote on the, on the website that, you know, he should he should do the right thing and leave because he's at an age and, and, and it's a stagnant kind of a thing. And, and that, and that's a tough deal being in that, in that division. You know, there's three teams that have a leg up on you year in and year out. I, I mean, all the more credit to him for what he did. You know, he, he took advantage of some turmoil at the other three programs, uh, but also coached them up. Uh, you know, it, it might happen. You know, you, you may be right, Blau. I, at this point, they are such an afterthought. Uh, you know, I think they should make a change at Michigan State, but I think that that uh, D'Antonio has earned the right to make his own call, and I think they're going to honor that. So we will see. You know, I mean, the other part of it is if they start doing changes at that time, Unless they got somebody lined up or know what they're doing, you know, you have to be careful what you wish for when you make coaching changes. Yeah. It's one thing to fire the guy, but let's make—you ought to make sure that you're you're getting better. And uh, at Michigan State, if something does happen, it's certainly, you know, uh, under the radar at this point. Yeah, and uh, you know, out west, we had we had a, a weird sort of sequence where, uh, you know, Clay Helton uh, remains the USC coach, but Chris Peterson. You know, re- resigns at Washington. I uh, uh, a month ago uh, did not see that coming, but that was sort of a surprise. I think uh, Chris Peterson just sort of, I think he burned out, which is in six years uh, is interesting because he was in a good situation. But I think a lot of this has to do with the recruiting uh, wars that are going on, particularly at Oregon. There, <laughs> there's you know, there's a lot of animosity for Mar- Mario Cristobal. Uh, at Oregon uh, for just how hard he's pushing. Um, and uh, it may or may not have been coincidence that Oregon, uh, rec- they won the conference, by the way. They had one player on first team all pack 12, which was voted on by the coaches, by the way. Uh, but there seems to be some sort of a blowback against uh, the, uh, the you know, team Nike. Uh, so, but the fact that Clay Helton is staying at USC has made USC fans apoplectic. Um, but guess what? The university president isn't from USC and she came in and I think she was won over by the nice guy, Clay Helton, who, you know, North Carolina eight and four is, is a good record. Um, uh, she did, I think she did not understand the level of, uh, just anger that, 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 you know, that percolates at that school, but it didn't matter. He's coming back. And guess what? He opens he opens against Alabama next <laughs> Labor Day weekend at Jerry Jones Stadium. So we're going to go through this whole thing again. Um, 
are we missing or any, anything we missing? You want to get anything off your chest out there? I think we've said no, it all. Good. I think I, we have said I it all. We covered it pretty well. All right. Uh, good job, guys. And uh, we will reconvene. Probably didn't look at the um, the bowl matchups and uh, uh, and the semifinal games coming up later in the month. And again, thanks everyone. And until then, adios. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Good work. Good work.